The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Bullying or business? We're not talking about Taylor Swift. We're talking about trade. The president negotiating with Chinese President Xi Jinping. What does it mean? Are we finally back on the right course or is it just rhetoric? Plus, the president's historic trip into North Korea, whirlwind diplomacy being Great photos, but clear results. Was it a photo op? Was it not with Kim Jong-un over the weekend? We're going to break all of it down. We have an all-star panel. I hope everybody had a great weekend. We're into the holiday week, 4th of July, fireworks. No better city to watch fireworks, by the way, than Washington, D.C. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Matt Gorman's with me for the hour. Here in studio, Vice President at Targeted Victory, former NRCC Communications Director, and making her debut on the Bloomberg Radio Sound On Radio Show, Julie Roginski, Democratic strategist. She's worked for everybody from, including Senator Cory Booker. Cory Booker. She's also a former contributor at the Fox News Channel. We're thrilled to have her on. Coming up later on in the program, we're going to check in with Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, the Democrat from Virginia. She's going to call in. A lot to talk about with Congresswoman Spanberger. So jam-packed policy show today. It was a busy, busy week in terms of geopolitics. I was on uh, a CBS over the weekend, and we were talking about the, the, the somewhat of a deal, and it's not really a deal, but really a rhetorical return to peace, I guess, between China and the United States. It's very unclear. Wall Street's trying to make way of it. Wall still trying to sort through the details. And President Trump, for his part, and the administration are out saying that things are going well. Things are going well between President Trump as well as President Xi Jinping following their meeting at the G20. We're going to talk about that now. And coming up, we're going to talk about the other major, major developments coming out of over the weekend on the international fronts. Of course, I'm talking about President Trump stepping foot, stepping foot into North Korea. So first, let's dive into Trump and Xi with Matt Gorman. He's vice president at Targeted Victory, former NRCC communications director. Julie Roginski, Democratic strategist, previously worked for Senator Cory Booker. She's in New York, where I was on Friday. Julie, thanks for being here. Your first time on the program. All right, President Trump saying that things are going well with China now. Your thoughts? Who knows? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what, what day is it today? I mean, it's, it's, it's going well today. could be going well tomorrow. could be complete disaster a week from now. That's the problem. <laughs> there's, there's no consistency. So the market's having whiplash. Uh, it's like Lucy with the football constantly ripping it away from Charlie Brown. 
Um, I feel bad for these traders and, and anybody who predicts what's going to happen. There's, a there's Democrat who feels bad for the traders. Julie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I know. I'm one of those New York. Welcome to the tribe. I'm one, I'm one of those New York Democrats. She understands the value of, you know, what traders do once in a while. All right, Matt Gorman. I mean, I, I take it. I take it. Are you as concerned as Julie is about President Trump and President Xi? Because he says the two big developments relate to agriculture and Huawei. I'll talk to you a little bit about that. But first, you know, set the stage for us in terms of your reaction as we end this Monday. Peace in our time, baby. Um, <laughs> look, I think if you'd asked me a month ago, I think there was a lot of saber rattling, right, when it comes to uh, China. And as Julie kind of said, this thing could blow up any day. However, you know, maybe we extracted some favorable terms. Maybe we didn't. But I think at its core, President Trump likes the issue of trade because it's one of the few things he views as being totally within his power. He likes having control of this issue. This is one of the few things that you can reasonably say he's believed in consistently for the last 30 years. So, look, again, do I think this is going to be steady throughout? No. But at least face-to-face with President um, Xi Jinping – there might be some uh, daylight ahead. All right. So the president says that there's two big developments out of these trade talks. By the way, no one's seen specifically what the, the, the literature is and the, and, the, and the wording is of these agreements. But there's two fronts. First is on agriculture. Second is on technology. The president says that the U.S. or that the Chinese have agreed to purchase, make new purchases with regards to to agriculture. Here's the president of the United States following the close of the G20 summit over the weekend talking to reporters. Here's President Trump. China is going to start. uh, They're going to be consulting with us and they're going to start spending money even during the negotiation to our farmers, our great farmers in the Midwest. That was President Trump speaking over the weekend in on his uh, following the Osaka Japan G20 summit. So he says that they're going to make be, be making new purchases. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know. Well, we know why President Trump says it's because of him. And then there's this other issue of Huawei, and this has been more controversial. Uh, Huawei is the telecommunications company headquartered in China that the intelligence community has raised national intelligence concerns about. Not just in the intelligence community, but also Republicans uh, and Democrats, Republicans like Senator Marco Rubio, who took to Twitter, took to Twitter over the weekend, like minutes after this, this, these developments in Osaka were, were coming out. Uh, Senator Rubio tweeting that he had concerns, concerns about the Huawei uh, easing. And no one really knows even what it means. It's just this, this, this idea that's being circulated. And Democrats have absolutely pounced on this as well. I was reading Isaac Boltanski at Compass Point's note today, and he suggested that it might potentially mean that Huawei stays on the restricted list of banning uh, companies from doing business with, but allows potentially for the $11 billion worth worth of sales to continue that were already in the pipeline. Uh, Julie, I'm going to come to you with Huawei right now. There, this is a really a nonpartisan issue that now is back, back on the negotiating table. I, I would think that that's going to have Democrats uneasy. Well, what are we talking about here? That's the issue is Huawei is is a concern. I mean, look, our intelligence agencies think they're a concern. They obviously haven't been behaving in ways that that we as a nation would like them to behave. But we don't really know what we're talking about here. You have the president standing up, making amorphous statements about Huawei, making enormous statements about agriculture. And 
again, we're all supposed to sit here and guess as to what in the world he could possibly be talking about. This is no way to invest. It's certainly no way for anybody to determine public policy. I mean, we need some concrete ideas here, not just ideas. We need concrete steps here. And the reality is we have not seen anything concrete from the administration. This president loves making grand pronouncements, uh, as was said before by Matt, about peace in our time. But the reality is nothing has changed other than rhetoric. And until we see some specific action with respect to Huawei or with respect to our soybean farmers or with respect to agriculture, I I wouldn't be making any investment based on just some random pronouncement that could be changed tomorrow. Look, I think this whole week in my mind is very much about President Trump, the showman, as we said, goes to the G20 summit in person, makes the announcement about China. Then we have obviously the DMZ crossing over this in person cameras rolling um, historic, you know, steps across the North Korea. And hell, even we have in, on July 4th this, you know. Uh, military parade and address in Lincoln Memorial steps. It's it's very much much Trump the showman. And look, as we talk about Huawei, I think you're absolutely right. You're going to see Republicans like Marco Rubio, especially more so because this happened when Congress was in recess. If this is still an issue when they come back, I think you're going to see many more Republican senators and, and members of the House really express discontent or outright say outrage um, with this. And, you know, who's their lobbyist in town? But none other than Joe Lieberman. Uh, I forgot yeah. that Lieberman's lobby. Lieberman is, is, uh, is lobbying for Huawei. That, that's fascinating. Yeah. All right, Larry Kudlow. Kudlow was out uh, speaking earlier, to, or yesterday, rather, on CBS News' Face the Nation, uh, talking about tariffs. Tariffs. So, look, I mean, to Julie and Matt's point, there's massive concerns about agriculture, massive concerns about Huawei. Uh, and, 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 by the way, they're not just Democrat concerns. They're, they're, they're really bipartisan concerns. Uh, but here's Larry Kudlow saying, hey, there's no tariffs. Take a listen to Kudlow. No additional tariffs for now. So he's going good faith to see how these talks go, to see if China delivers on an early agriculture uh, promise. Let's call it an early harvest. So that was uh, President. That was President. That was Kudlow saying no additional tariffs. And, and on CBS, and I was hooked on this yesterday. Uh, he was also pressed on the issue of Huawei. Take a listen to what Larry Kudlow said about Huawei. Anything to do with national security concerns will not receive a new license from the Commerce Department. I think that's very important. I think people to understand that. Stuff that's generally available uh, will, be, will be probably getting a temporary license from the Commerce Department. It's fascinating. Fascinating to talk all things policy with Huawei, especially as Europeans are also not necessarily following suit in terms of where the U.S. government and lawmakers are with regards to... Uh, to uh, to Huawei. All right, coming up on the program, we're going to talk more policy, more politics with Julie Reginsky. She's here, Democratic strategist, previously working for Senator Cory Booker. What she think about the Booker campaign is doing. Plus, Matt Gorman's here, vice president at Targeted Victory, former NRCC communications director, a fellow reality television show fan, if I do say so myself. You got it. I, 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 it's just reality TV is at its peak. We're in the golden age of reality. We're in the renaissance of reality television <laughs> as we have the reality show president. And Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, she will, uh, she will call into the program, Democrat from Virginia. Download the sound podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. It's Monday, folks. We've 
made it. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. We went over the line and uh, turned around and everybody was so happy. And many people I noticed from Korea were literally in tears, crying, crying. This is a big thing. It's a big thing. That was President Trump speaking King over the weekend following his steps into North Korea. The first sitting U.S. president, a historic stroll into North Korea, along with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. Uh, it was, as, as my boss, Craig Gordon, just describes it on the Bloomberg Terminal, quote, Uh, A public relations coup for the reclusive leader, meaning Kim Jong-un, providing the recognition on the world stage that he craves. U.S. officials were unable to articulate how Trump's gambit would move Kim any closer to giving up his nuclear ambitions, end quote. It's a great story uh, of historical perspective by Craig Gordon, Washington Euro chief, along with Mark Niquette. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by two all-stars, uh, Julie Roginski. She's holding down the Fort Forest in New York City. She's a Democratic strategist. And Matt Gorman, Vice President at Targeted Victory and former NRCC Communications Director. Matt, I, I don't know what to make, truthfully, and I don't think many Americans know what to make in terms of the policy, not the photographs, the policy of North Korea and President Trump going into North Korea. The images themselves, I mean, I was watching them over the weekend, and they were startling. But what about policy? What about it? I, I don't know that there is. I think that's the thing, is that, you know, I can't tell you what's changed much in the last year when it comes to North Korea. But, you know, look, it was a compelling visual, something every, the world woke up to on Sunday. And, look, I, I think... Absent some major breakthrough, this will get attention among average folks in a way that, again, absent a major breakthrough, maybe some minute policy developments probably wouldn't. Julie? Uh I mean, are we giving up Sudetenland next? I don't understand this, <laughs> this reward. Hey, hey, if it was Marianne Williamson, it might be New Zealand. Go it ahead. might be. <laughs> Gilda Radner, Marion Williamson. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, congratulations to Kim Jong-un. He just got every states that his grandfather and his father never got. And a concession that we have acknowledged that, in fact, they will continue to be a nuclearized peninsula. And, see, and in the meantime, wait, wait a second. In the meantime, they're continuing to experiment with ICBMs and other delivery systems. It's not like they're doing anything to stop the proliferation of their nuclear program. And Donald Trump just had a great photo op. Congratulations. If this were a reality show, which I don't watch unlike you guys, but if this were a reality show. You're missing out. I know. I, I don't know. Like, I don't like the condescension of it's my reality co- <laughs> show tendencies. If I'm it's being not condescending. Frank. No, no, it's not condescending. I'm so Good. embarrassed for people. I go on home reality. and I turn off the news and I turn on, I turn on uh, the, the, the game, whatever the game is, or the reality show. Aren't you embarrassed for these people? Not no. no. See, I'm jealous. Not, I think no. there's a, a slight jealousy. I don't know what that says about I, me. I don't know. I feel like I'm watching a train wreck, much like I felt like I was watching a train wreck watching this reality show in the Korean Peninsula. <laughs> but see, because I, it's real life. But see, you know, and and look, I think in terms of the when I talk to sources in the intelligence community, there are those who, like Julie, they're incredibly critical of what the administration is doing. They don't understand the long-term implications of this. But then there are others who say, you know what? The North Koreans are talking, and it's rhetoric, and it's an approach that is different 
but it's a different approach, and at least they're talking. But the question is, what are they talking about? So I, I, I want to play for you now this soundbite, Matt, uh, from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo about how he really took in all of this. Here's the Secretary of State. I left there with a recognition. I think that Chairman Kim really wants to get something done, something very significant, uh, that we want to do so in a timely way. <sighs> I, haven't we seen this before? Absolutely, we have. And, and I agree with Julie. In no way, shape, or form can we accept North Korea becoming a nuclear state. Absolutely not. I don't think members of either party, um, you know, I can't speak for the administration, but members of either party wouldn't accept that in any way, shape, or form. However, you, you mentioned the fact that grandfather couldn't get this done, couldn't get a meeting with the president in this type of form. We've been down the same road for ye- years and years and years. Maybe this is different. I, I don't know if it will be. Maybe it'll be different. Fast facts: More than ninety percent of China's or of North Korea's exports and imports are directly correlated, connected to China. I hear from my sources in the agricultural community that a lot of folks in flyover country potentially very early on, but potentially viewing NOCO. North Korea as a potential emerging market. Coming up, we're going to stick with North Korea. We've got Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia, calling in. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Jam-packed geopolitical weekend as President Trump wrapped up the G20 meetings with a major, major news front on the U.S.-China trade front, as well as on national security, when President Trump became the first sitting U.S. president to cross over, just steps, cross over uh, into North Korea, along with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger is a Democrat from from Virginia. She joins us on the phone, first time on Bloomberg Radio Sound On. Congresswoman, appreciate your time. You having served in the intelligence community prior to becoming a House member with your time in the CIA, I'm very curious for, for what you were thinking as you watched those images over the weekend of President Trump entering into North Korea. Well, thanks for having me on, Kevin. When I watched him walk into North Korea, I was shocked. Um, we both. <laughs> I mean, and and there's a number of reasons for my my shock and confusion. You know, here we are dealing with an authoritarian regime, a murderous authoritarian regime, uh, and and we have a president who doesn't seem to understand the threat that they pose. The doesn't seem to understand the nature of the regime, uh, the oppressive nature of the regime, and to walk just over the border into North Korea. In in addition to the fact that it, it there doesn't clear to be appear to be any strategy to that decision, they deliver the best propaganda win they possibly could have delivered to the North Koreans. So here we have Kim Jong-un, who's historically been a pariah, and his father a pariah before him on the world stage because of their regime. And now he has 
photos and imagery of the president of the United States crossing over the line and walking into North Korea. Um, and, and, and for what? Uh, I just don't even begin to understand what the president was thinking um, and, and what he hopes to gain out of giving them such a tremendous propaganda win. So where does it go from here? I mean, that that's I think once I got over seeing President Trump with the North Korean leader, my job as a journalist is to try to figure out what is, what is the next step. So from your vantage point, you're a member of, of the prominent committees that relate uh, to foreign policy. You serve on the U.S. House Committee on Agriculture as well as on foreign affairs. Uh, what's next? Well, I think under under more normal circumstances, what's next would be a little bit more apparent. We would have faith that there's a strong strategy that the United States government, and in particular the President of the United States, is is kind of taking a step, if you will, uh, in in a direction towards progress, and in towards, in this case, potentially mitigating the threat of, a, of Iran's nuclear program. But it doesn't appear to be any efforts to uh, to advance negotiations such as this. It doesn't appear to be any efforts to um, move us in a place where there's more openness within North Korea. We are getting any answers related to the, the death of Otto Warmbier, a U.S. Uh, an American student, a uh, student at the University of Virginia uh, in my home state, um, who was taken... And your alma mater, too, right? And, and my alma mater, yes, yeah. um, and, and returned home in a coma to die. I mean, there's so many questions and so many demands we could make of the North Koreans, and it doesn't appear that we're doing any of it. Um, and, you know, much like our engagement with Saudi Arabia or with Russia or with Iran, you know, the apparent lack of strategy is is just shocking for someone who has a background in national security, though I would argue probably shocking for just about any American who's kind of read the newspaper for the past, I don't know how many years, five, ten years. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger is with us. She's a Democrat representing Virginia's 7th Congressional District. She is a previous, uh, having previously served in the CIA, grew up in Jersey, now lives in Virginia. She serves on House Foreign Affairs as well as other committees, uh, as well as agriculture. I know agriculture is so crucial uh, to your your constituents to your to your district and congresswoman that that's where i want to go next i want to go to the u.s china trade talks because president mm-hmm. trump uh, following the, the the one-off meeting with president xi jinping saying that there were big developments in terms of agriculture as well as on huawei uh and mm-hmm. let's start with agriculture i mean do you think that this is going to to win over uh, and i guess ease some of the concerns that we've heard from the agricultural community from the trade talks with china you know, I, I, I don't know. And, and as you said, I serve on the, um, the Foreign Affairs and Agriculture Committees. I represent my hometown district. I moved here as a kid. Um, we're a district, 10 counties, and seven of them are, are rural and agriculture, uh, agriculturally based in terms of our economy. And I have soybean farmers in particular who are suffering because of the trade war we have initiated and continued with China. And, and my farmers across our district, their concerns are, you know, last year it was, potentially the economic impact, and now it's the long-term economic impact because their trading partners are starting to go elsewhere. They've filled the void based on, um, you know, needing needing to buy the, the product, the crop somewhere else, and so they're, they're losing market share. I, I again, I, I hope, I hope that we're moving in the right direction. I hope that we see good news for the sake of farmers across 
Central Virginia and across the country. But when we entered into this trade war, when we started it, there didn't seem to be uh, an, an, an end game at play or in sight. So I'm, I remain very cautious about whether or not we are going to see any any major impacts that could move us in the right direction. Um, and in the interim, I mean, I'm focused on the people in my district who are suffering because of it. And what about Huawei? I mean, because President Trump on Saturday announcing uh, that that really he's relaxing the ban on U.S. companies, according to Business Insider's reporting, uh, selling to the Chinese tech giant. Bloomberg's been all over this story. Uh, we were talking earlier about Senator Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, raising concerns. He said that it would be a, quote, unquote, catastrophic mistake to loosen restrictions on Huawei. Your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, I agree with Senator Marco Rubio. I think I found um, an area of agreement. I think I found an area where Congresswoman yes. Spamberger and Senator Rubio agree. Go ahead. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't going into this interview. I didn't know that you would bring us together. <laughs> but thank you for that. Um, you know the 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 across the board and on the Senate side and on the House side, many of us are deeply deeply concerned about the threat that Chinese technologies and and you know what we have to remind listeners of is here we're dealing with a state where the the mix and the lines get very blurred between intelligence the Chinese intelligence community um, and Chinese development of products and the Chinese military. So the real concern here is that with Huawei and its known ties to the Chinese intelligence and Chinese military services that those products just are not going to be safe, particularly for our most sensitive information, which is why we have long um, recognized that we shouldn't have U.S. government um, information uh, using Huawei, uh, Huawei produced um, technology. And I introduced a bill uh, called the Secure 5G and Beyond Act. It's a bipartisan bill. We've got Republicans and, and Democrats joining together because we recognize um, that, that the Chinese government's Made in China 2025 plan um, it, it poses a, an, a, a threat to us on the national security framework. Um, you know, they they see 5G as a strategic emerging industry, and and we know it could pose threats to the United States. Um, we want to make sure that any products that American consumers and American corporations and the American government uh, certainly are using don't pose hacking, theft, um, or insecurities that, that could be put there in place by Huawei, by the productions, um, to benefit the Chinese intelligence services of the Chinese military. All right. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, Democrat representing Virginia's 7th Congressional District. Thanks for getting wonky with us and in the weeds on Huawei, on soybeans, and, of course, on those North Korea, those, those, those really historic images coming out of North Korea. Appreciate your time. I'll catch up with you in the halls of Congress. You're always welcome to come stop by our bureau as well. Coming up. All-Star Panel Reacts. Matt Gorman sticks around. Julie Reginsky. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 at 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. A week without a little Bruce Springsteen. That's how I was raised. John Mellencamp, Bruce Springsteen. That was like the soundtrack to my childhood. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We got to talk about 
the 2020 race, I mean, and these developments coming out of Iran and how they're already impacting the 2020 race, I was struck by how it really caught up foreign policy was played out on the debate stage last week in Miami. My guests with me for the hour are Matt Gorman, vice president at Targeted Victory and former NRCC communications director, as are... Uh, as is Julie Reginsky, Democratic strategist. And my apologies to KO in the control room because I totally told her to play this soundbite out of when we got back from break. And I totally jumped the gun. And it's all my fault. So, KO, let's hear now from Senator Bernie Sanders when he spoke on ABC's This Week uh, talking about Iran. Here's Senator Sanders. I wish he would sit down with a dictatorship in Saudi Arabia, bring Iran into the discussion and tell those people that we are sick and tired of spending trillions of dollars because going to war against Senator Sanders, Julie, clearly trying to stake out his Tulsi Gabbard lane, <laughs> if you will. Well, I don't know that he's hanging out with Assad quite yet. I don't know if that he's hanging out with Tulsi Gabbard per se, but yes. But so, but but already Iran factoring into this and this and this notion. I mean, this has been such a foreign policy heavy show. But this notion of the, uh, the Democratic the Democratic candidates are reading their tea leaves and saying that they don't see any appetite to go to war with Iran. Well, if you look at what's been going on with Iran, it's the same group of people. Look, I, as, you, as you mentioned, I used to work at Fox and one of my colleagues was John Bolton. I can tell you, uh, you know, the same stuff that he said about Iraq back in the day, he's now saying about Iran. It's the same exact playbook, same drumbeat, burn, all of it. And uh, it's not it's just reality. And these guys are just, it's like they learn nothing from Iraq, except for the fact that people are no longer that naive. And especially if you look at the fact that Iran was in compliance with the nuclear deal um, until we pulled out. And you think about what are we doing? I mean, what, what, what is the purpose of this? Let's not forget that Iran is much larger than Iraq. A war would be much more complicated. And we have a president who's got no plan whatsoever to get us in, to get us out, or really what we hope to accomplish. Is it regime change? Is it an invasion uh, with a permanent occupation? What are we exactly looking to do in Iran with a military strike? Nobody has yet to tell us that. The State Department will say they want to get they, – the, the goal is to put so many crippling economic sanctions on the uh, on, on Tehran that they will ultimately be forced to come to the negotiation table regarding nuclear disarmament. That's the State Department. That's what the State Department says. Henry Rome's out with a new note this afternoon from the Eurasia Group, and it really puts it in perspective. I mean, Tehran announcing today that it has exceeded the nuclear deal's cap on the stockpile of low-enriched uranium. This is Iran's first clear, clear violation of the JCPOA or the 2015 nuclear disarmament deal. So, Matt, they are now – they've – I mean, I'm looking at this chart. I mean, you don't even have to have it in front of you. Just imagine a line going up. Iran has significantly increased its uranium production, and that started in May 2019. Oh, I mean, it, I mean, it was a joke. Like that whole Iran, the Iran deal was a total joke. It was a legacy play on behalf of Obama. We want to talk showmanship as we did with Trump. That was a def, a defining moment of showmanship during the pre, uh, the Obama administration. And look, I think President Trump is fundamentally, secretly an anti-war president. I don't That's think he wants he to ran. go to war. What? Yeah. That's how he ran. Yeah. I don't see him getting involved in any type of war out there. It's just not, I don't think how his personality is. And I just don't think that's how he wants to have his administration go through the next, you know, six years or so. But, how, but to, to respectfully just dig a little deeper here, 
by pulling out of the Iran nuclear disarmament deal, now Tehran is brazenly stop, increasing their uranium production. I mean, that's alarming. It is alarming, but like I, I'm, I don't think any of us are under any obli- or, uh, any uh, idea that they wouldn't be doing it anyway. And I want to bring this back to the, de- to the 2020 candidates in the couple of minutes that we have left, because the CNN poll just came out within the last hour. This was taken uh, between June 28th and 30th, so it's a little bit of the first debate, uh, but it's so and it has impacted Biden is still at the top, 22 percent. Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris, surge for two, 17 percent, according to this new CNN poll. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they're 15 percent and 14 percent, respectively. I look at these numbers and I add them together, and I think Warren and Sanders, I mean, that's like, what, 29 percent right there. They could surpass Biden. Uh, then you've got, that's really the top, that's top tier. Buttigieg is at 4 percent, Booker at 3. Hey, you're old boss, Jules. 4%. Yeah. 4 percent. How do you think he's doing? You know, do you I, I, he needs a breakout moment. Yeah, and I think Kamala Harris had that breakout moment at the second debate, and and I, then what's his Beto talked Spanish and kind of stole his thunder. Who Beto? Yeah, Beto. You know, I, I got to tell you, I'm not from Texas, so all I remember about Beto is that Beto was the like hope of the 2018 election, mainly because everybody hates Ted Cruz on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. But then when I see Beto up close at this debate, I'm wondering where's the where's the Beto that I keep hearing about? I don't know. Maybe because I don't speak Spanish, but Mac I mean, Gorman, I didn't see... here we go. Hold your breath because Mac Gorman's about to. Mac Look, Gorman, no I one gets with, under his skin more with, than Beto. Well, oh, very true. Um, with Biden though, I, I'll, I'll rip on Biden for a bit. Uh, I just it feels so much like Jeb to me. In July of 2015 was what we had a lot of the Jeb stories come out with donors leaking. The only thing. The only good thing his campaign staff does is apparently is leak. But I think what we're going to see is the news cycle right before the first debate being donors and supporters and and surrogates have trepidation with Biden in this first debate. He needs to have a big breakthrough moment. He won't. And then in August, there will be a ton of, you know, behind the scenes, back to stabbing stories. Staff will be knifing each other in the press. Um, And, yeah, look, and and I honestly – and this is a genuine question for Julie – I watched Street Street Fight, and yep. Cory Booker just came across as this, you know, this guy who took on Sharp James, the Newark establishment, almost won, then eventually won when, when Sharp retired. I don't see that Cory Booker on the stage right now. I wonder if he had been better served if he had waited, much like Kamala did, instead of rushing out for the Biden um interview on right. CNN and waited and kind of took a Ginzu knife to Biden. Jules, we got 30 seconds left. Go ahead. Well, you know, he wasn't on stage with Biden to take the Ginzu knife to him. Even better. I, even I, better. So but even better. I don't think he could. Have, look, what Corey needs to do, and I prepped him for both the Senate races for his debate, so I know his, his debating style, he needs to stick the landing and he needs to create moments, which is what anybody looks for in debates. Kamala Harris did that plenty. He tried to do that. I'm not sure he did it as successfully. She did. There are more debates coming up. Uh, he's, he, he's 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 got to really he's, right. he's got to nail the next one. We got to leave it there. You know what though? I disagree with Matt Gorman. I think Beto could still have a breakout moment. Oh, We're gonna leave right. it there. Momentum, baby. <laughs> I want to thank Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger. I want to thank Matt Gorman, Julie Braginski. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound on Podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Fourth of July week. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.